Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, Securing Bridges fans, here we are once again. It is episode 27 of Securing Bridges. Yeah, 27. I can't believe we've come this far already. It has been a wonderful journey. We've had amazing guests. I hope you checked out last week's episode because it was a riot. But if you didn't yet, you know where to find it, ITSP Magazine. We've got it out there in podcasts. You can go out to our YouTube channel. You'll see it out there. We've got it for you, so be sure you check that out. So happy to have you all on board once again. We've got another great episode lined up for you. I can't wait to get into this because we just have the best guests on the show. I can't believe I, I am like the most fortunate person. I swear to God, I get to talk to all these really cool people. And of course, this week is no different than any other in that we have yet another incredible guest. So without further ado, let's get into it. And let me introduce our guest this week with us. It's Eric Bellardo. Eric, how are you? Hello, Alyssa. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing great. November. Can you believe it? It's already November. We survived Cybersecurity Awareness Month. (laughs) Well, it was Hispanic Awareness, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. I would say awareness, Hispanic Heritage Month. And then it overlapped with Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So we had like two weeks where it was Hispanic. I saw that. That was kind of interesting. I didn't realize that. In fact, I think it was your tweet that actually clued me in. I was like, oh, I didn't realize those dates worked out that way. That's different. But it's always, it's uh, for some reason, the Hispanic uh, Heritage Month is October, wait, sorry, September 15 to October 15. And, you know, October 1st through the 31st is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So I survived a month and a half. <laughs> I think maybe we should do more of that. People, if you're going to have an official month, you have to have it. You have to take an entire month. Like, you know, then, you know, and we do that for pride. We do that for all sorts of things, right? Breast Cancer Awareness Month, all the rest. I think more people should start staggering. I'm like, why does it have to start on the first of the month? Yeah. Make it the, the 10th, the 20th. And then and then <laughs> that, that overlap helps give the message to various communities. So this should clue everybody into where this conversation is probably headed today. But before we get there, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, Eric, and tell people about yourself in case some of these people out there haven't been like checking out your show or the work you're doing. Nobody knows Eric? Okay, no. So hello, my name is Eric Blardo, and I'm the founder and executive director of Raices Cyber. We are the Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx Association in Cyber. So we started this association uh, foundation roughly uh, August of uh, 2021. And within a year and a couple months now, we currently have 12, 13 chapters across the United, uh, United States. 
And we've got about 100 um, volunteers and over 2,000 members. Um, and our mantra is creating diversity of thought in cyber because it's not about counting. You know, people think, oh, right. Hispanic associations or Black associations, or LGBT or association. It's not about the number of people, even though there's only 4% of cybersecurity workers that self-identify as uh, Hispanic, Latinos, Latinas. So the numbers are really long, really low, but it's about creating a diversity of thought. It's everybody yeah. thinks a little bit different. So when we're building these teams, and this would be a good topic, it's about building diverse teams. It's, it's about creating that. We don't all think the same. So when we're looking at a problem, you know, if we have that homogeneous um, view, everybody's going to think the same way and go, yeah. yeah, let's do it the way the run book says. Might not be the right thing because, like I say all the time, is cybersecurity is the art and science. Notice that I said art. And it's every system we secure differently. We have to take different things. So it's an art form. It's about practicing the field and it's not always the same thing close port this and port that and port, <laughs> port that. no it might it would not be so easy if it was yeah I mean, I, close these you're safe nobody yeah, can get i mean just secure every system the same because god knows we never create different products that do different things yeah. no not at all and open source <laughs> stuff hey ah, oh god <laughs> Open source, he mentioned that. We'll get there too, I think, today because we had some fun this week already, and it's only Wednesday. Yeah. But so, what I like about what you were just talking about as far as race as cyber is, you know, you said that, that term, diversity of thought. And the reason why I like this is that term has been used by a lot of people as an excuse not to focus on diversity. Right. I, I mean, I've been in those conversations. You're dealing with some white male and you're, you're talking about the need for more diversity. And you're like, well, I just prefer to hire for diversity of thought. Yeah. How are you getting that when you have a room full of white males? You're not getting there. I don't care what all their backgrounds are. Yes, they will have diverse backgrounds. Maybe they didn't all come from the same place, but you're still not maximizing that diversity of thought. If all you have is, as you put it, that you know, very homogeneous group of people in the room. So what are some, you know, the yeah. way that women think versus the way that men think. Okay. It's, and I'm not being sexist or anything like that. It's just, you know, people look at things in different perspective and mm -hmm. it could be a woman or a male or a Hispanic and a black or white person and a, you know, just different people. They look at different things and let's just use the, the being in a sock. Okay. I managed my, my background is pretty much about 90% blue team, right? I managed yeah. socks and I managed cyber fusion centers and things like that. When I put a team to analyze a program, an event, you know, I normally built teams with women and men and, you know, diverse team so that they can all look at the problem a little bit different, talk to each other and come up with a better solution. 
not just, hey, it's a false positive, move along. Analyze it. Analyze it from different perspectives. Come up with a good direction. You know, we, I can say that seven years ago when I was managing a SOC in D.C., we were 50% women, 50% men. And I, and I had that SOC and I would sit back and watch the discussions. And I can tell you, we had 10 customers in there and they loved the discussion. Whenever they came in, they saw their people looking at the sins, looking at all the log collection and everything and how they were talking about anything, any event and how they declared the event an incident. And it was really good, really cool to see all these different perspectives, you know, yeah, just just really good. I mean, you can't get away from the fact we're all shaped by our own experiences and that those experiences are different just based on how people see you and perceive you. And so to sit there and say that, a you know, anyone from one particular, let's just take racial demographics for a minute anyone from one racial demographic can have the same experiences as another is completely foolish because the reality is, and if you don't know this, you're hiding your head in the sand, but especially when it's very visual, like being black, being, you know, Hispanic or Latino or Latino Let's versus being white. Approach. Take a different, yeah. we're all products of our education as well. Yes. So somebody over here might have learned something that this person didn't know. Somebody might have gone to this college, which focused more on something versus this one, because the field of cybersecurity does not have a standard curriculum. So you can go to, to you can go to a um, community college that was very focused on, say, for instance, red teaming versus another community college that that same cybersecurity certificate was was focused on blue teaming. You know, where is, you know, we all come from different perspectives, life experience and yeah. educational experiences. Yeah, and every one of those is gonna, like you said, it, it's gonna impact how you look at problems, how you, how you even perceive the things that are happening around you. And yeah. that's so important. Like you think about two people, you know, to your, to your point in the sock, two people sit down and look at the same group of alerts and try to, you know, correlate them and figure out what, what it all means and what's actually happening. Based on different experiences, they may come up with very different conclusions. And that's what you want. You don't want, if, if you get a universal conclusion, you maybe that's just because logically it, it's the only conclusion and that's the fact. But a lot of times, as you mentioned that art form, there are more than one potential logical conclusion from the clues that we have coming out of our sim. And I need people who will look at that and come up with different possible answers so then we can investigate and find out. But we've at least directed our investigation. And that's where I think people get lost. And then we have all of these different single pane of glass things, right? <laughs> Did you really use that term? Did you really use that term? Who put I you wrote here? It down that I had to do this to trigger you. Um, which, which which vendor plant did you right now? I want to know. <laughs> but we're using AI and machine learning, so you're good to go. 
But it's military grade, of course. <laughs> Speaking of military grade, like you said, you know, when I was in the military and I was an intelligence analyst, we used to be taught to do different courses of action. So course of action one, course of action two, course of action three. So when you see those analysts looking at that, you are creating that. It could it be this? Could it be this? Could it be this? Yeah. And then that diversity brings it and says, I think it could be this. I can be this. Let's investigate all of them because you exactly. don't know which one's the right one. Oh, because I mean, we've all, I've, anyone who's worked with a sock, managed a sock or anything like that has seen that case where you run down a rabbit hole because everybody's sure that this is what's going on. And you discover that, yeah, those, that's not what that meant at all. It was something completely different. And now you spent all those cycles chasing that one thing that everybody was sure it was, only to discover that that wasn't what was going on. And what you thought was an insider threat was actually someone from the outside who had just breached something or whatever. I mean, you know, we've, we've all seen that if you've been in a SOC environment for any length of time. It's what happens. And that, again, to that point, we have to bring a conversation that is going to create, we need the resources to create that conversation that's going to bring the various perspectives. Yeah, and you talk resources. So one of the reasons we built Rise of Cyber is because right now, if you go to cyberseek.org, you'll see there's like six, I think it was 750,000 openings in cybersecurity it, this year, you know? So we need to bring more people into the field and it's not just Hispanics or Blacks or, or you know, different different areas. We need to bring a lot of more people. And one of the challenges, and I say this all the time, and it's kind of like a quiet secret that people don't <laughs> like to hear, but Hispanics, Blacks, and other minorities, when they're in school, they don't get told that you can enter the field of cyber because they don't understand the the counselors and the teachers, they don't understand what the field of cyber is. And right. they say, I wanna learn cybersecurity. And I always say, hey, cybersecurity, saying I wanna learn cybersecurity is the same thing as saying, I wanna learn healthcare. Well, guess what? There's doctors, there's nurses, there's EMTs, there's medical technicians, there's all these different fields. But we teach people that say, I want to learn cybersecurity. Well, you know what? We've got blue teamers. We've got red teamers. We've got GRCers. We, are, we have policy. We have, you know, security awareness. We have vulnerability. We have all these different trades. We have 50 plus trades. Some are very technical. Some are not. Yeah. You know, you don't need an expert. You don't need a doctor, you know, in all this this training. You can start as an EMT in the field of cybersecurity, but we don't tell people that. So no, not at all. Share are, are scared of getting into the field. And then we have our middle managers or managers that are coming in that are saying, I need a unicorn. Well, guess what? You're just triggering that, that unicorn that doesn't exist. You can get three entry level people and train them to be your unicorns. And this is something that's so, oh man, you just know how to push all my buttons today. Because yeah, I mean, you know, this, the exact thing you just described is exactly why I wrote the book I wrote to help people overcome that because it, it, it's so crazy. 
And I mean, I've, I've been in those situations, my last job before this one, trying to convince my CTO that, no, we don't need to hire somebody into this role who is, you know, this vast expert on all things cyber. I need somebody who's got the propensity to learn, the desire to learn, who you know can understand and and you know logically identify and analyze some of these things. I can teach them tools. I can teach them skills. I can get them upskilled on that. I can do that all day long. And you know what? I can bring that person in at you know a little bit. I mean, let's be honest about it. I can bring them in at a little bit lower salary, right? Than that unicorn because if you do find that unicorn but then I can also build them up and accelerate their salary forward and get them to where they are worth what I would have been paying if I was able to even find that unicorn who, because they are a unicorn, knows that, okay, they're gonna demand ridiculous salary. And that's a thing. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, anybody who's watched me knows that I'm not about undervaluing people. People need to get paid, they need to get paid with their worth. But yeah, I mean, I would rather bring in somebody at a, you know, maybe a, you know, an entry level salary mark. And then because they are legitimately entry level and build them, then go chasing rainbows, trying to, you know, hire somebody who's going to cost me twice as much. And then, you know, six months to a year, they get bored and they go on somewhere else. Yeah. Well, as a, as a CISO, I had a situation where I had the CTOs telling me one time he wanted this person with all these skills, the, the, the JD was this long. And then he says, but I want this person in India. And I said, look, you're looking for, and I'll say it this way, just for sake of discussion, you've got NSA qualifications here, but you want them in India. That doesn't exist. A hundred interviews later, and I said to them, look, we can get for two people for what you're doing here and get those get those same requirements in two people. Well, and what irritates me the most in that, beyond the obvious, right, of like, why are we searching for this ridiculous candidate, is the motivation behind why they're saying they want to find someone in India. It's not because they want someone from India who has the valuable perspective of someone that's grown up on in a completely different culture and everything else, which is amazing and very valuable. Of course, the only reason they're doing it is because, oh, it'll save us money. Yeah. Like that is so the wrong reason to be hiring anybody from any country. I get the business aspects of it. Don't get me wrong, right? I mean, you know, I get it. I get the financials, but for crying out loud, you cannot, you know, it, this concept of, we want the best possible talent for the cheapest amount of money it just doesn't work. Exactly. Exactly. And you're not going to find it. And what's going to happen is you find that they're going to take the experience that they gathered there and move on very quickly. And guess what? You're back looking for somebody this way. So it's, and, and the other part is, you know, bringing in somebody at that low salary, you say, yeah, we can build them up. But guess what? A lot of companies have a lot of budget to bring in a, a person, but no budget for retention. Or, right. you know, I had a, so, I, just four years ago, I was in a company and because they had a downturn, my yearly, even with perfect scores, point 
nine zero percentage increase. Yeah. Less than which you're not going to keep anybody that way. And this is so and where this gets more complicated. And this is something that I have. I've had to coach a few people on this because I, I learned the lesson myself early on in my career, thankfully, because I've been able to build a number of what I would I've heard in terms incubator programs or whatever. But, you know, where we bring in people into entry level roles and then look to upskill them. If you're going to build a program like that, first of all, kudos, because that's what I need CISOs doing. We, we need CISOs build and organizations building those programs. But here's the thing you have to do if you're going to build that program. And I can't stress this enough is you've got to plan to accelerate their salaries faster than your typical employee because their value in the marketplace is going to accelerate that fast. And so if you are going to invest all this time developing them, which you should be, you do have to keep them, which means you have to accelerate their pay to keep up with their market value. Then you're going to love what I did. And remember, I just said about that sock that I managed. I created a program there where we would bring in interns and train them for eight, nine, nine weeks. Once they went through that and we picked the best ones, we turned them into part-timers at the sock. And then okay. once they got their time, were, were there, then as full-time positions were open. We were transitioned those. And we did that for two years. We got over a hundred people through that program. So that's nice. one of the reasons they call me cyber Papa because I, you know, brought in all these people into the field. Plus I got eight kids, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, but it's wonderful. You get to watch all of those people that you had some part in their growth yeah. succeed. That, I mean, I'm, I don't know about you. For me, that is super rewarding. That is part of why I built Raices. And one of the things that I love is to seeing all these people that are coming in. And I've seen in this year, people that come in that say, what is cybersecurity? And they start there. And now after a year, they've got their first job. They're working, you know, in a company and, and they're, they're just exploding. And that's just as a CISO, yeah. as a as a senior level manage, manager that are anybody that's listening to this podcast right now, it is a it is such a feeling when you see the people that you've mentored through in through coming in and mentored into your organization, then become leaders of them their own. And that is just the best feeling in the world. Yeah. No, it is awesome. So what are, I mean, what are some of the programs or the, the, some of the things that you're doing out of your organization now that you really want people to be aware of? Because I think well, you guys are doing a lot of work. We're doing a lot. Yeah. So one of the things that we're doing right now is we're building up some cohorts, some training cohorts. So getting people those first certifications, you know, your, your sec plus and those types of certifications. So we had just a few months ago, we had some, you know, some, some influx of some money. And so we put together a um, cohort for sec plus and we opened it up to the community. We had over 50 applicants to, to that program. We, unfortunately, we only had 20 seats. We got the 20 <laughs> seats. 45% of all the people that got selected were females into cyber. So that's 
very proud of that. 90% were Hispanic. So, and very we nice. didn't put, you know, anything about, um, you know, ident identifiers. They had to write, uh, you know, and request for it. And our team actually selected the people. But it was incredible to see all these people. They're about to finish. I think uh, the last one is in two weeks. So they'll finish their Sec Plus boot camp. Um, and then we're going to be doing some more here for different certifications starting at the beginning of the year. So that's one of the things that we're doing to bring in more people. But another one of the programs is our mentoring program. So people come into the Discord, come in and talk to people. It's not a formal mentorship that where you have a one-to-one -one or something like that. It's a community mentorship. And that's been very, that's, that's developed, if you will. So we've got these rooms with all the different skill cells, the skill sets, you know, GRC, blue, red, and people come into this rooms and ask about it. And we have people in the community that are already working in this. We have people that are CISOs, that are senior managers, you know, big four people that are in there. And they're giving these people mentorship. And hey, we're doing this, or we have this problem, or what do I study, or what? Everything. And the family, that's what I call it, the familia, you know, the, the, the family of the raices is there to support each other. So there's the mentoring. And then with our programs with the, uh, with the different groups is that we have all these local chapters in different states. We just opened the San Antonio one. And they are doing activities, either network activities, teaching people how to network, um, or they're do bringing in people to talk to the local chapters to do activities and meet and have a local community of support. So these things are, are just very important. As you know, networking and being able to talk is one of the most important skills in, in cybersecurity. You mm -hmm. know, people think that it's the keyboard skills. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. important for your daily job. But once you find something, once you identify something, you need to communicate that to somebody, either yeah. written or talking. Well, guess what? This networking or this way of talking, this way to communicate, it's something that we're teaching everybody to say the people skills are equally as important as your technical skill. And that that is something I think we miss in cybersecurity, right? Our job so often is really about educating others. You know, how do we communicate the message? Yeah, we can have all the skills in the world. And this is, I mean, this is a lesson I learned really well in consulting, right? Because you learn really quick. You could have highly, highly skilled consultants, but if they can't figure out how to get their knowledge onto paper and explain it on paper and verbally to your clients, they're not a very good consultant. Like, I'm glad you, you know, you can reverse engineer this piece of malware and, you know, get down into, you know, deep levels of assembler or whatever and figure it out. That's wonderful. That's great. But that is only one piece of the job of being a consultant. And that same consultancy factor, I think, plays in even when you're in an organization and doing something for their teams, because you're going to have to explain what you're seeing or what you're finding or what you're doing and why to somebody somewhere. 
And the chances of that person having deep cybersecurity knowledge like your own. And you have to communicate it up and you have to communicate it down. So yeah. another skill is for us in leadership and teaching leadership is how do I explain this to my senior person? Or in my case right now, as a business unit security officer on my day job, um, I have to explain that to the business. What is it that this event or this vulnerability or this issue, how is that going to affect you as a business leader? Right. And you have to care about this. Okay. Or do you? Why do you care? Do you have to care? Is this something, right? I mean, and we, we see examples of that. You mentioned early in the call, you know, open source and open source security. And we've had some interesting developments over the last year now. You know, we go back to December last year, we had Log4j, right? And 90% of Java owner app owners found out, holy crap, we have Log4j everywhere. You know, and, you know, and we had to, I mean, how many companies had to scramble and do the all hands on deck thing? And we had to struggle to get, in some cases, people to understand why this was such a big deal. And then on the flip side, we have this, um, how do I put this nicely so I don't get people hate mailing me? We had this situation with OpenSSL this week where, you know, last week was that, I think it was, I think it was actually Friday, right? Friday that they Sorry. put it out there that, oh my God, the sky is falling. There was this super duper critical vulnerability that we've discovered in OpenSSL. We're not going to tell you anything about it, but we're going to announce it on Tuesday. Get ready. So what did everybody do? If you were like me, you got everybody you could, you know, at least on guard and ready. And you started putting plans in place. Okay. The minute we get the details, this is how we're going to start prioritizing. This is how we're going to mitigate it. You know, these are the partners we think we'll be able to work with very early on who will help us reduce the risk. Here's, here's what I always say, and people forget this part, okay? You can't secure what you don't know you have. Okay? Exactly. The first part is, do we have yeah. it? Okay, so yes. whatever. Insert open source here. Do we have it? Okay. Is it in our... I answer question. Mm -hmm. And that question was what killed everybody for the for, for uh, log4j. Oh, I know so, it. Do we have it? Do we even use it? Okay. Yeah, that started the whole SBOM thing. And do we have the software bill of materials and all the things? But guess what? Every time you install a package from some somewhere to do a specific task, it installs 1,200 other packages. So now yeah. you have... Okay, fine. I've got this package. What about the other hundred packages that make that package that make this function? So even with SBOM at that level, we don't know what we have. So when some vulnerability happens in some package that is within a package. And this is, so this is my favorite story coming out of Log4j because what Log4j did, at least in my opinion, and if people were listening, they caught on to this because, well, some have heard me give conference talks on this since, is it highlighted the value of these software composition analysis tools because that nested dependency that you just talked about, 
I have the perfect case study from the organization I was working in at the time. We were running SCA against our software. And you know what happened was within hours of the announcement of Log4j, we had our list of 980 targets that we had to go look at, figure out, you know, confirm what version of Log4j they had. So we actually even knew, you know, which ones. And they were, many of them were embedded deeply in some other library, but we had all that information. And like to your point, two weeks later, we had you know reached the point where all the critical stuff was fully remediated, and we were kind of just now as business as usual to address the rest. I'm still talking to peers in the industry who are like, "Yeah, we still haven't figured out for sure." And that's because they don't have the right tooling. They don't have the right tooling, so they were trying to do this with. Initially, they were trying to do this with vulnerability scanners, or something, or some companies that I know were doing it, hand jamming it, you know, going looking at those, going to those product teams and saying, hey, are you using this? Can you look in your, you know. Yeah, run dependency checker or something. And yeah. And, and they didn't have that. So it's a combination of knowing what you're doing. You know, is this in your, in, I mean, they could have put it into any kind of inventory, a PDR or some other document that they have for development, Jira, anything like that, that they can search for it. That's kind of the poor person's, you know, SCA, right? But they didn't have that. It makes you still one step better than you were yesterday. And that's that's the other thing. I, I if I could get people in development and in security, honestly to stop making perfection the enemy of progress, right? Like we, we're so worried about having a process that's gonna find every sub-dependency ever, like even doing what you're talking about in JIRA is like, hey, that's at least something more than what yeah. many of the organizations had when this thing hit. And so, you know, yeah, knowing what you have and now, so then the next one comes along and it's open SSL and they spin up everybody because open SSL three has this big volume that turned out not to be a big volume at all. It was two volumes. Um, they were both downgraded to high, not critical. And when you look at the details of it, it's a pretty specialized attack vector, um, which is what makes me, me disappointed. Let me see if this triggers you. I, I heard from somebody that said, don't worry, we don't use open SSL. We built our own. Why do you do this? You choose violence on my show. No, I know. I actually, I've, I've asked a few people, like, you know, how many of you skip open SSL and rolled your own crypto? And I actually got hands yesterday. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, what's funnier in the haha, this is horrible to th- imagine is Log4j, open SSL, these both. What was your best remediation or your, your best defense against it on day zero? It was that you hadn't upgraded your shit to the most recent version. Yeah. If you had older versions of OpenSSL, if you had older versions of Log4j, we you weren't vulnerable. Because we don't know if our system's going to crash. Like, but it, it's just, it's so counterintuitive and it goes against everything we're, we've been saying. Like, oh, always keep up, keep on the latest version, whatever. Now there are valid reasons still. And this is where, you know, I need 
I think we need security people to pay attention because we don't, right? Like you're going to get the pushback now from people who are like, well, why should we upgrade? Look at this. Like we upgrade, if we had upgraded, we would have been vulnerable. We skipped that because we didn't. And it's like, yeah, okay. Very, very true. You were still on a version that had other vulnerabilities, but here's the thing, by being on the most recent version, when a newer version comes out to your point, you typically can upgrade a whole lot easier without breaking things. Well, what, you know, vulnerabilities and and this whole area of vulnerability and risk management is very important for us to tell people. It's this ongoing process that always will find something. So it's something that we're fighting against the current, but if we look at that and we, we we challenge those people that say this, going from version one to version two or whatever version, I'm just using that for sif- simplicity, is you're fixing these vulnerabilities. Yeah, you might have introduced these ones, but you fix these. Yeah. And the next time you introduce, those will be closed and then others are going to be open. So you're still getting to a better state every time you move forward. And the other part is, what are the new vulnerabilities or the new um, risks that are out there? Is going back to the vulnerabilities of Microsoft 2019 and 2018 and using those because people haven't upgraded or haven't patched. So guess what? I'm just gonna use something that's simple. It's already there. Probably lots of exploit tools available for it too. Exactly. And yeah, you know, and, and the other thing I, the thing I'm hoping we learn out of this most recent open SSL thing um, is how we can communicate better because a couple of things happened and I'm curious for your thoughts on this. One, very early on, I saw some people I highly respect in the security community saying, this is big. You're going to need to patch right away. Be ready as if they had some insider knowledge. Now, I don't know if they did or didn't. I don't know if something changed later, but, you know, that to me as a CISO, I went in and said, hey, you know what? Some people I really respect in the the industry are saying that, you know, this is going to be huge. So we really need to be aware of this only to find out it was a big nothing murder. The other thing is the communication. And this one, there's going to be lots of debate on for a long time how OpenSSL project went about communicating this, right? You know, they they made a big splash on Friday. It showed up in ZDNet and everywhere else um, that this was coming, but no details. Okay, fine. Understand why there's not a patch available yet. But then there was some confusion amongst security vendors who, at least from the ones I talked to, weren't getting information, even embargoed information from the OpenSSL project. And so now, wait, are we, we get to Tuesday and it's just like the starting gun of the race and it's who gets there first, the defenders or the attackers. So I'm, I'm kind of curious what your perspectives were on some of that communication and where you think we can go with it. You know, I, I think about that all the time and actually think about communication. Okay. And how do we communicate to our partner companies or, you know, or, internal teams when we see a vulnerability and I've seen both ends, but I have not seen a moderated one in the middle. I've seen companies go, there's 
nothing here. We, there's no vulnerability, you know, <laughs> and behind the scenes, everybody's going crazy. But then I've seen these like open SSL is going to be a case study of how do you go, you know, and say the sky's falling. Now let's be, let's be, let's give them a little bit. If this would have turned out the way they wanted or they thought it could have been bad for a lot of companies. It could have been a bad thing. So maybe their thought was let's raise the alarm so that everybody is ready. Okay. But go back to Heartbleed. Go back to those other big, there were three vulnerabilities. It was Heartbleed, uh, forgot the other two. Um, but when those came out, there was a very good cadence. This is a vulnerability. This is what it can impact. Go check to see while we're preparing a patch for this. Okay. It was a good cadence. And I don't know if we've forgotten that piece of saying, here's a, here's a warning. You know, you know, in the military, we have warning orders and operational orders and different different things. Give a warning order. This is something we're monitoring. Nothing to panic yet. Just be ready. If it was done in that language, I think that it would have been a little bit better for everybody. But last Friday, everybody was panicking. The sky is falling. Everything's coming. Bring everybody. Forget the weekend. Everybody's gonna 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 scan for this stuff. Hold on. What do we know? What do we have? What do we do? Take a breath. And as a leader, even if the companies are going crazy, even if everybody's going crazy and saying that, say stop. What do I have? What do I need to know? Or what do I know? What do I have? What do I have to do? Okay. And I, th I think that's important. And what that leads to, and this is where I think it's really crucial, because even in the case where you get a communication like you did from OpenSSL, where they said, this thing is critical, it's coming on Tuesday, you're going to want to patch right away. And then, you know, something clearly changed. They, I mean, I read through their explanation, they, you know, whatever, they, they found out it wasn't as bad as they thought, whatever, fine. But the way I look at this is, we've got to get away from the all hands on deck response in the first place, because that's the thing that burns people out. That's the thing that shows you don't have a good plan of action. And that's the thing that when you have a situation like this, if you ran out and spun up all hands on deck, my CIO said it. And I kind of like, was like, well, wait, 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 you know, it might be, but let's not, you yeah. know, let, here's what you know and and that's not to criticize my CIO he did a great job like he was he was definitely focused on what do we know what can we do right away you know we got the inventory started doing all that stuff like I think a lot of orgs did but I think you have to we have to get away from that idea of we need all hands on deck it's you know super critical response have, time and if we prepare and that's the whole concept of prepare okay have yeah. your incident response plan what do we do? Have a have a run book for things like this. If there is a major vulnerability that it gets, you know, put together what you do, put together all that stuff. Look, it could be vulnerability team or asset management team that starts this thing. You know, then it goes, you know, it gets managed by your IRM team or something of that nature. And then 
it includes the teams that are, you know, your in your infrastructure teams or something like that, that are going to give that that information. You know, you got your GRC team, you know, taking taking all the all the different processes that needed to be done to make those changes. You know, you don't have to bring the entire team. Right. You know. I mean, think about how much development you shut down when you do something like that, oh, yeah. right? So here's the last question because we're getting to the point we got to wrap up, but I'm going to throw one more hot question at you. And for anybody who checks this out, you know, I, I you know, I, we haven't had an active chat today. They've been pretty quiet today, but that's okay. Um, but I want to see the comments on this. I'm curious what other people's thoughts are on this. And then, so I'm going to ask you, is a situation like this, does this qualify as an incident that you handle as an incident response? Hmm. Okay. So the <laughs> book definition of an incident is that it gets preceded by an event. Okay. So if you look at an event that raises to the level of an incident, okay, the event could have been the announcement. The announcement could have triggered your incident response plan or your run book for that incident, as I mentioned before. So does it run like an incident? Can be. If you've written that into your incident response team, and that is the part of preparations that I would tell somebody, be ready. These things are happening more often than not. Yeah. Somebody's there's we are so interconnected. Let's not even get into APIs and connecting <laughs> systems and and you know all these different things because you know we get into the target situation where you have you know an HVAC that gets you know pummeled and now suddenly they're in your POS system or you've got an event where somebody's saying log for J log for J. You know, so, so yes, so it could be, that was kind of like a half. half. <laughs> it was a little wishy-washy, but it, I, no, I think you're on just, I think you're right though. I, I, and that, Preparation but, is important. That's the whole point. Preparation is important. That's you need point. to start looking, you know, when we do uh, uh, incident response plans, we look at tornadoes and hacking and, you know, hurricane or, you know, freeze or power let's start looking at some other areas this right now now there's a pattern yes you know a package that gets breached or gets you know there's a vulnerability that gets you know announced guess what the other part that we didn't discuss about the open ssl is discussing the vulnerability that's going to trigger the opposing forces mm -hmm. to find that. And now you just given them a three day heads up. And that's the thing. I mean, I get, you know, uh, on one side, I appreciate, Hey, you know, here, get prepared, go ahead, you know, get your people together. Cause this is coming and we're not going to tell anybody because we don't want the attackers to know. But it's like, yeah, what do you think the attackers were doing for those three days? They were out digging through 
open SSL code and, and playing with it in their environment saying, hey, is there something that we can do? There were probably people out there. I know there were security researchers out there doing that. There were a number of security so researchers doing who were doing it. They're doing it. So I right. would say, back to your question, that could be a precipitating event that can call into an incident. So if we think about it, you know, I know that's kind of not where you want it. It is. No, a, it, actually, it's the perfect answer. You know why? Because it brings us full circle to where you started. And that is that this whole damn thing is an art form and there is no one right answer. How your organization will be able to best align the right resources and the right process, I think, is what's going to dictate if it's an incident or not. And that's done by experience. That's done by CISOs and senior level managers that have been there, that have done that, that have run these things. And I think that, again, we look at these higher level managers and senior levels and, you know, VPs and all that stuff. We look at certificates and, you know, masters and PhD and stuff like that. And we keep on forgetting that some of those people have had just the, and I know some wonderful CISOs out there, but they're, you know, it could be book smart yeah. versus have I been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And sometimes that's more important because that at that point when there's an event that goes into an incident, you need to know the art form to be able to respond right. And that is a perfect way to wrap up the show because we got to go. This I think this is the longest show I've done, but the conversation has just been that good. Um, so for those of you that stuck with us, first of all, thank you so much. Eric, thank you so much for joining me. This was awesome. I, thank you for having me. Honestly, this is, this is why we do this show. Uh, wonderful conversation. I can't thank you enough. And folks, remember, at the end of the day, this will be uh, wrapped up into podcasts. You should see it available two or three days. The recordings, of course, of the video are available immediately. So check those out on YouTube or your favorite service. Um, you know, we're out there on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Check them out. Otherwise, check out the podcast on your favorite podcast uh, platform, whether it's Google, if it's Apple, whoever it is. Uh, go ahead and find us there. So we got to go. But... Man, I'm going to tell you, after you check out this episode, be sure you get in here next week. I, I'm not telling you who yet, but I have a really, yet another super incredible guest. And, you know, I never announce these until Mondays, at least. So, but yeah, next week's going to be probably every bit as awesome as this one, because I'm really stoked about our next guest as well. I always am. I it's crazy. You got this guest. So, anyway, I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to end the show. But again, Eric, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see you next time right here on Supreme Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges Podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.